Kia ora. Welcome to How to Save the World's first road trip. We're in Raglan, Whangaroa, um, and we're going to do a special on this special, special place. Um, whether it's like waste, energy, conservation, food resilience, community development, for the last 20, 30 years, I think it's pretty safe to say that um, this amazing communities, uh, whether it's uh, Hapu-led or uh, Raglan locals or wh- whoever is involved, um, just been doing some pretty groundbreaking stuff and um, I think you guys have been enabling a community scale transformation through a lot of various different projects so we're here to get inspiration for our own towns across Aotearoa or, or internationally there's I think there's a lot of take-home messages so I'm here with Gabrielle Parson welcome Thank you, Wave. Yeah, really awesome. Big welcome to you both. Um, thanks for coming down on this beautiful day to Whangaroa and hope you have an awesome day today doing your interviews and look oh, forward to the ora. chat. Thank you, mm. thank you. And Gabrielle's the, uh, the chair of the Raglan Community Board and also Raglan Naturally Coordinator, which is an amazing town plan, which we'll be talking about soon. And um, so thanks. And Rick Thorpe. Kia ora, Wave. Kia ora. Yeah, nice to see you. Kia ora, Tim. Tim's here, doing our sound. Rick is the Innovations Manager at Extreme Zero Waste, which is where we are right now, and uh, also one of the founders. Uh, he says it's a very long time ago. God, I'm very old. <laughs> <laughs> and also coordinator of Raglan Community Energy, which is a new new thing that we're keen to talk about as well. So thank you both. It's a big basket that we're going to sort of try and uh, weave together basically the work in Raglan that's been done around visioning and planning and infrastructure. Um, I think things that we often don't think about if we're looking at what we can do in our community. Um, So really cool place to start with um, stepping back for the scale. Yeah, cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. So um, for people who don't know, before we, we sort of really get into the mahi, the work that's been done, um, what, how would you describe Raglan? What, what's, like, especially for, and like, I think in New Zealand people all have their own images, but, but how, like, perhaps for our international audience. Yeah, well, I think um, it's a small coastal town yeah, on the west coast of, of New Zealand, and... Um, it's a real mix of um, it's a real mix of, of, of local people of hapu iwi and um, international visitors come here as well for primarily for the surf but I think um, as well for the vibrant um, community and people and <laughs> yeah. lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. What's the uh, the New Zealand sign language symbol for Raglan? Oh, I'm Ooh. going chucka. Yeah. Hey, is it? That's right. Yeah. Damn. Oh, yeah. There you go. Crack up. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's just the quickest way to get the vibe across. Bit of a, bit of a surfer vibe here. Yeah, stunning, right? You've got uh, to point out just how beautiful it is. Um, the the um, plan, the, I checked out the Raglan Naturally plan, and it describes the character of Raglan as friendly beautiful, laid back, welcoming, peaceful, vibrant and creative. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sums it up. Yes. Yeah, yeah and nice. I think you're right, Wave. It's it's like a stunning um, landscape here with the with the mountain, the harbour, the ocean. Yeah. Yeah, just the whole setting is pretty 
pretty prime. And it's a, it's a small town, yeah, nestled in between the Maunga and the harbour. Mm. Yep. 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 Three, three, three thousand, four thousand people. Yeah, maybe even creeping up to five thousand. Oh, yeah, you know, right. and yeah. um, and and potentially about seven hundred thousand visitors. So. Yeah, annually. Yeah. Yeah, amazing, eh? It's a bit of a tourist yeah. town. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty amazing place, um, but you guys have been really both involved with um, shifting things. Uh, and so what what sort of has been your motivation? What were the, some of the issues or problems? Yeah, I, I guess um, having children for me, you know, was um, wanting to bring our kids up in a place, you know, that's um, had an amazing opportunity in it. And um, this was a cool community and always has been. And um, 20 years, or we, we came here 30 years ago and bought a small five, um, 15-acre farm, um, set it up with permaculture design and organics, um, and, um, and some of it was about creating an income and some of it was about creating opportunity. So we, um, an example would be we planted trees 30 years ago and um, in the hope that our, our children would use them for, for building their house, and, um, and that happens in the last yeah. 12 months so you know like it. Um, yeah nice yeah. nice and w- was there uh issues around like pollution or waste or what what kind of things were happening in the community yeah, at that time there was um, a very little employment opportunity, so we were losing all of our young people from school. You know, they were doing their time here at the area school, being able to um, stay within the community, within their family for all of their schooling, but uh, beyond that there was very few employment opportunities. And we really had had kind of um, 100 years of of taking all of the trees off the landscape. It was, um, you know, sort of 80% um, covered in trees, um, pre-European, and, um, and um, very few forested areas um, remain today. So um, we, and you know, and there's a lag period as the roots um, deteriorate and then the soils become more, more mobile and they came down into the harbour. So it, it really had a massive impact, negative impact on the fishery. So um, 20 years ago, we had the worst harbour fishery mm. in New Zealand, 18 hours to catch fish. Just one fish. Yep. Mm. And the sad thing is people were still going out fishing. Mm. You know, they thought that was still okay, something um, you could do with your kids, you know, and what sort of messaging is that, mm. you know? Mm. So really... And, and of course, everyone pointed the finger at each other, whether it be commercial or recreational fishes or land-based activity. But in the end, I think everyone um, knew that those sediments in the harbour and the high nitrate and phosphate levels were the sort of thing that was having the negative impacts. And it was really our duty, our responsibility to to do something about it. And I, I know you're going to be talking to Harbour Care mm. later mm. on, and just a mass of ups to them. You know they've done incredible work and I'm proud to say that we've got probably one of the best harbour fisheries in the country and um, and they'll give you some stats around that but mm. you know the, mm. it's just a, so it's a great example it of a, just one transformation one of the amazing things yeah. and um, and the short period of time that's what I would yeah like it's really to, hopeful yeah. I mean the community I live in also has issues with sediment and, and people are really excited about riparian planting and you know, it's great. And so, but I want to talk to you guys also, like two things happened sort of 99, 2000, 
well, more than two things probably, but the the community came together for the first time to look at forming their own plan because they weren't that excited about the council's long-term plan, if I got that right. And then also the landfill closed. I actually wasn't in um, in Raglan back then in 1999, or 90, probably when they first started the community planning, um, but certainly heard a lot about it and met a lot of the people who were involved in that, who still really hold it dearly, the, the whole um, process. So I think it was that time um, when the community were realising that this place is going to grow, and aside from the growth and the environmental issues, that how are we going to capture this and kind of drive the change um, that we want. So that's when the community started working with the council um, with a lot of support from the council to create this community-led plan back in 2001. Yeah. Mm. So my understanding was that there's not a lot of communities in New Zealand that have kind of gone down this pathway. It's quite unique. Yeah, I think there. I think it is pretty unique. I, I remember talking to the guy who worked, who was the project manager at the council, and he said that the way that he worked with the community was quite unique for the council. Yes. So I think he was really leading some change there. So I think at the time, yeah, it probably was a bunch of feisty locals. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think quite a few got involved actually. Yeah. Like quite mm, a yes. group. Yeah. 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 Large yeah. numbers. Yeah. 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 And and then that's a that's a. I just, I just find it interesting because it's like, for me, if I'm thinking about, okay, what do I want to do in my hometown? I don't mm. start at that level. And I think it's not everybody does. And it's just great that there have been some people that have held that for this town. Mm. And, and it seems like it's behind a lot of stuff. Mm. The community planning? The plan, yeah. yeah, The the fact that there there is a vision, Mm. a really strong vision around sustainability and community development. Mm. Yeah, I think it definitely links into a lot of work um, that was done also at the time. There was also the um, Whangaroa catchment plan that was was put together with the regional council at the same time. Yes. And that, you know, with the work of extreme and other things going on, there was quite... It was a real, um, I suppose it was sort of setting the seeds, wasn't it, really, for what we're seeing now? Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, some pretty cool stuff. So the landfill, so it was right around the same time, the landfill that was right here where we're sitting closed. That's correct, yeah. In 1998, it it actually closed and um, went from filling a little stream valley into a little mountain, you know, and um, so, yeah, definitely time to close it. And it was really probably at that point that people realised that it was going to cost quite a bit of money to transport the waste and drop it off into someone else's community. So there was, you know, mixed feelings about that, but it was a, a catalyst for change and an opportunity. And, you know, I'd just like to mention um, one person, you know, who's had a great influence, um, particularly on on myself, but also on Extreme Zero Waste, and that was Fire Eva Ricard and um, Tua Iwa. And um, she used to have some great sayings. One was, um, you know, it's your responsibility, you know, and and don't wait for permission to do something about it, you know, and which I, you know, I still find that, you know, um, it to be great advice, you know. Um, it, it, it is our responsibility, you know, and, and we, we lay so much on um, local and central government um, to fix our problems, you know, and if we've, if we've been partially the creator you know then I think um, you know that's the 
we should um, put some energy into um, coming up with solutions. What was your vision for the the waste? Well, um, to be honest, um, my background's in marine biology, and um, and so I worked on the catchment plan, and um, and you know realised there were some some key things to do in in the harbour and in the coastal environment, and I was particularly interested. I'd been working for Department of Conservation for a few years, and so Maui dolphin was something that I was interested in. hadn't even been described as a new species, but um, actually Fire Eva Rickard told us it was a different species and needed to be protected so that was also one of the projects I was keen on but when I went back to see her to say that I'm available I'm going to ditch my job and um, I'm available to work for a community and and um, in the marine area and she said that's wonderful you're to go up the hill close the landfill recycle as much as you can stop the leachate from coming down the harbour mm-hmm. and I must admit it was a bit of a, a bit of a bummer you for know I really I, yeah I, I had this vision of swanning around uh. in a boat you know Know, with my shades and getting in a bit of surfing and um, maybe yeah. it's to come, Rick. Well, yeah, exactly. So you were challenged by the oh, fire to come up and uh, yeah, 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 and um, and do something on behalf of your community and turn a negative into a positive. And um, as Gabrielle said, you know, there was so much discussion about unemployment and um, and kind of the weave of Raglan. You know, where where are we headed? You know, where we want to go and and um and and this was kind of like a mamai you know a um a negative and um, so anyway, we use kind of permaculture um, um, tools, planning and and strategies, and we decided let's turn the negative into multiple positives. So, you know, to give you a, a feel for that, what we used to bury in the ground is now 42 jobs in Raglan and $1.6 million injected into our local community. What do you mean? Wages. Like those jobs were buried in the landfill? Yeah, well, that's that's what we were bearing. There was this massive opportunity. You know, there was all of these incredible resources. And so if we um, kept them separate and found markets for them, then they became available for circular economy. And, wow. Um, yeah. So that waste that used to just be buried in the landfill and that, the, that you know, the plan was originally just to ship it off. Yep. has now been transformed into 42 jobs. Yep. And that's, Dragon's a pretty small town. Like, How does that compare with yeah, other employers? Quite a lot, the, right? 42 yeah. jobs in a small town. It's yeah. pretty, pretty cool. I yeah. think we're like second or third largest employer. You know, yeah. I think the school and maybe what, yeah, maybe there's the Meat Ocean. Uh, yeah. yeah, the school, Meat Ocean, and probably yeah. Extreme, and maybe Raglan Coconut Yogurt now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so you created all of these mean jobs for people. And uh, and then environmentally, what's you know is that picked up? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, you know, you can have the opportunity to talk to um, Whangaroa Harbour Care, who um, did massive work in our community, but they built some incredible wetlands. Well, I think what really while the two the regional and district council were um, considering what sort of a wetland um, to build, um, Harbour Care just went and built it. You know, <laughs> yeah. and it's been amazing. Um, so it just really cut the leachate um, um, down into the stream. Fantastic. And, and while the landfill was active, it, there was no vertebrate life. There was no fish life in that stream. And um, within two to three years, the fish life was coming back. And we've now got short-jawed kōkupu into the wow. lower reaches. And, 20 and years so, on from a yeah. closed landfill. And that's what's coming out of the site now. Yeah. 
Man. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I think it's definitely the energy here, isn't there, of just getting on with stuff. Yes. Um, and, yeah. And I think Extreme's been an awesome example, and um, Harbour Care as well, and for the community, yes. when we did the community planning, because what we had the community plan in 2001, but in the last few years we've revitalised it, brought it back to life, because it was sitting a little bit quiet for a while, um, and a lot of people spoke about these uh, organisations that have been around for a long time, you know, as being really kind of leading, and yeah, we want to keep going like this, and... Um, Great, so it's been this thing that's kind of gone around and around, like you were motivated originally through the community, and now it's motivating for the community. Yeah. And, and you guys have... Um, You've, you've, you, it's actually a lot of volunteer time that goes it's uh, to the Raglan plan, yeah. uh, Raglan naturally. A lot of volunteers. Yeah, so over the last, I suppose, three or four years, we've updated or revitalized more than updated, actually. It's been a whole new process with a different sort of um, um, angle, I suppose, on mm, it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, there's been like probably 100 people volunteer their time wow. over that time, in and out, you know, just kind of coming in when they can, leaving. And, and What's motivating people? What are they seeing? Um, I think people really want to be involved. I think they do. They feel like um, they want it to come from here. You know, I think, I don't know whether that, what it's like in other communities, but I feel like Raglan feels it really strongly, like we want to drive the change. We want to have the say about what's going to happen and for it not to come from outside. So as soon as there's that feeling of, um, I think it was also quite a positive, like we, the way that we um, ran the project was quite sort of strengths-based so in a sense, we were kind of raising up the energy rather than like pointing out all the issues and problems, which can yeah. be slightly depressing. Yeah. It was more like, actually, we've got some amazing stuff happening here. Let's get it all together in the plan. Tell me what you know. What are your ideas? You know, kind of um, and just a lot of passionate people here who just want to contribute. So it's pretty cool mm. being part of that. Mm. Awesome. What else? We've got the community energy stuff. The magic of the plan. <laughs> the magic of the plan. Yeah, the, definitely. And I, I think um, it's extraordinary the expertise, you know, in this community and probably in most communities, you know, and, and give people the opportunity to actually participate in something that's very meaningful for them. So, you know, um, I mean, many people have children, and so that's a great um, motivator, but, you know, some don't, and um, but some have businesses here, and and the vibe of Raglan is part of that, and you'll see a number of businesses downtown, you know, and Raglan Coconut Yogurt and mm. uh, Raglan Roasts, um, it's, you know, those people all got a commitment to this town as well. It's hard to sort of kind of set a vibe, you know, or understand what the vibe is. And, you know, kind of when you read those words out before about what Raglan is, you know, and I think definitely those those are um, describers, you know, but there's just so much more. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this place... I know when um, you know, our beautiful councillor Lisa Thompson, when she goes in to to represent us um, in some local government and Waikato District Council, you know she carries on her shoulders thirty six generations in this area. So you mm. know there is wow. there's a, a long history here mm. of kaitiakitanga, mm. you know rangatiratanga and. And the people here are still um, very much in that in that place, and yeah. um, so you know, for me as a Pākehā, that's that's been really inspirational, and mm-hmm. so I've I've wanted to participate in that to do my little bit um, towards 
um, you know, ensuring that um, my impacts in this area are not um, negative and, in fact, restor- restorative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's that kind of underlying vibe. Like you say, Rick, it's kind of a bit hard, even with the community plan where we've got so much information. I feel like it's starting to kind of put it together a bit, but um, I think there was a quote on the back of the plan, which is really, you know, is basically it's home when you come kind of over the divvy, you just kind of come back and you settle and you kind of, you just kind of know what it is. Mm. But mm. I think it's, um, yeah, there's something that is quite inspiring and kind of motivating for people here and quite um, healthy and a, quite a deep sense, isn't it? Like you say, that kind of history of um, looking after the place and each other. So mm. I think that with the community plan um, recently, we were really focused on getting this plan like updated, right? And then after not very long, we realized actually it's not really about the plan like we can capture it, but really it's about the relationships that we're building along the way and what we're learning about the community. And I think that's the beauty of it is actually the more that we get to know each other mm. um, and the more that I suppose Toiwi or Pakiha get to know our hapu here and the histories and the language of the land mm. um, and build those relationships, the more sort of uplifted we are and the more I suppose enthusiastic we are to kind of work together mm. um, so it's been a lot about building the relationships and getting to know each other and getting to know the space really mm. more than creating a document mm. and yeah. I think that's mm. the kind of real value of it no, I, I, One of the things um, that I love as well you know when the wind picks up and <clears throat> the swell picks up you know you can hear it um, our our place is ten kilometres inland, and we can hear the bar working, you know, at low mm. tide. And uh, hapu here talk about the oceans being noisy all day, all night, all day, all night. You know, there's this there's this constant um, reminder, you know, about um, how humble we are as um, small small people in this landscape mm. and the power of the ocean you know a, a cubic meter is a ton and when you get um, wasted on your board yeah. you know you yeah. feel it you, <laughs> yeah. you know a cubic meter is a ton yeah oh, learn something every day um the the other aspect that i'm pretty amazed by that's a new thing that's going on is the what is it the raglan community energy project yeah yep and so the the thing about extreme that I guess we didn't really pull out, but it's so significant in the Raglan plan is just the, the dates that are attached to those things. How, how it was 20 years ago and spearheading stuff. Like you guys are, uh, well, at least 10, certain maybe 20 in lots of cases, years ahead of a lot of communities that are only just starting to think about what community recycling could look like or um, what a community-led plan could look like. Um, and, and of course, with the riparian planting as well. All, all these things, you know, it's like really ahead of your time. And the thing that you guys are doing right now that's new is this idea of community energy, which as far as I know, there's not too many other places in New Zealand that are even thinking about it. Um, do you want to just help us out to understand what, what the yeah. latest thing is? Okay, so yeah, and it's definitely an activity that was described in the plan, and so mm. it was one of those ones, you know, that you can cherry pick, you know, you can look through that plan and go, I'm in, you know, for another challenge, and um, 
In extreme um, zero waste, as I said, um, 42 people, and um, we've um, sitting around 75, 80% diversion of um, waste from landfill. So that gives us access to many resources. But it's a really, it's a tough gig to run. You know, it's always <clears throat> borderline in terms of finances. And so we look for opportunities to diversify and think what added value can we provide, you know, that is going to pay the bills in the next year or so. And so one of the discussions has been about um, energy resilience and energy security. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that those, those words will be, become common usage. You know, the central government is um, looking at how we can provide those um, throughout New Zealand now. For us, we're about 85% of the power that comes into Raglan comes from hydro, and you could, you know, suggest that that's renewable, and um, the other 15% is um, really from coal and gas, um, which we're not that proud of, and um, so it'd be wonderful to have an alternative. And where does that 85% hydro come from? Yeah, mostly from Waikato, you know, from the Waikato River. Yeah, which is close by. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm. But know, I'm from, just saying that for international yeah. people who have no idea yeah. where. Yeah, it's relatively. Yeah, it's not the South Island. No. So um, I, I agree that you you want if in terms of resilience and your most sustainable, renewable option, you're wanting to be generating your power within your own community, and yeah. is that. Is that the vision? Yeah, that's the feel. I mean, there's two projects. There's Raglan Local Energy, and there's no competition. They're very um, collaborative um, projects. Raglan's local energy is about um, putting solar panels on houses and commercial buildings in town, and um, Raglan Community Energy is about building a solar farm. And so it's really in the beginning stages, but we've got a good relationship with um, with our um, lines people, um, well, a network, and um, we're going through a business planning exercise, and the desire is to create a four to five megawatt um, a solar farm, and to give um, um, people an idea of the sort of size, a megawatt is one is one hectare of panels. So four to five um, hectares of panels, you know, sort of 10 acres. So it covers a, a really large area, and um, that's the sort of scale for solar. And so the idea is that um, with smart meters, we have the ability. So Tim Tim comes from a family, and um, big family, and um, he needs a bit of power. So from creating power from the solar farm, we can actually send um, free power or discounted power to any home in Raglan. So the ability to look after our old people in the wintertime, the ability to acknowledge young people when they have their first child and get them, encourage them to have washable nappies and say, hey, we've got your back. We'll give you a year's free power, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's, that's part of the vision. It's yeah, not, it's, not just the sustainability of having something local, but also like community controlled. You'd yeah, be like, guys, absolutely. you need a bit of power. Here you go. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, isn't it like sustainability is, you know, the community needs to be sustained, the people. Yes. Right, 
I suppose if we aren't, then we do things which aren't very sustainable. That's right. So it's yeah. kind of, it's all in one really, isn't it? We've got to look after each other to, you know, support. It is a theme, isn't it? We've yeah. seen it over and over on in the podcast as well. And then when I've been sort of getting ready for these interviews, just seeing how it's the people and the land together, mm. back and forth, one nourishing the other. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool that actually that was in... You know, the the um, recent version of the community plan was finished, let's say, um, six months to a year ago. I should know the exact date, February, actually, this year. Um, and it's pretty cool that, you know, something that was in the plan is, is already happening. It's like we're not even waiting. It's not like we're wait, you know, waiting for the plan to prioritise and then everyone will get on with it. Like, a lot of people are already doing these things. Yeah. So, you know, it's almost like, tick, that one's starting. So that's so cool. It's It's not... You know, the plan is kind of alive, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, living, yeah, yeah. Reflection of community aspiration. Yeah, it's a snapshot in time, but mm. actually, there's a lot that's that's going and that's actually being put in place, or that's happening through organisations like yeah. Extreme and yeah. And we're we're really just using, uh, you know, the fact that we've got um, some managers and administrators within, you know, the framework of Extreme Zero Waste to be able to take this project to the next step. But the desire is not to own it um, at Extreme Zero Waste, but to gift it to Raglan naturally. So it becomes the funder for projects, you know, that are difficult to fund or that we, Sweet. you know. Yeah, and so right, once right. again, we, we're not cap in hand all the time. We've actually, um, you know, have a, a financial generator um, that we can feed into other environmental, social and cultural projects. So this is the first project of its scale in New Zealand, um, community-led. Uh, have you got advice for others listening who might be like oh let's go get some solar panels for my town yeah totally there's this most cool bunch of people and they're called the community energy network and um that yeah that we're just so lucky that one of them is also a trustee for extreme zero waste (laughs) um the coordinator for the national network um, but um, yeah, Gareth. Yeah, if if anyone um, wants to get involved, get in touch with the Community Energy Network. They've got the most amazing expertise. And what about waste? If people were thinking, oh, this looks like a good idea. I don't want to be burying our jobs in the Come landfill. Come to Extreme. Come to Extreme or get in touch with yourself, you know? Yes. How about, how about the uh, Zero Waste <laughs> Network? Yeah, for sure. Yep. It's pretty cool to come firsthand, though, isn't it, and actually visit and see you know, how, a site. How, that's right. How many people would you say you get through the site? Um, to, to like not, yeah. not customers, but people yeah. coming to learn and to try and work out how they can do this in their community. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and so a resource recovery centre is completely different from a recycle centre, you know. So and um, so it becomes a community hub. So we'll have um, one to three hundred and fifty members of our community visit daily, um, to and um, six out of seven come to shop, not drop. You know, that's amazing. So, so this is this is something that originally started as a, a landfill, and then I was yep. like, no, no, we'll take those resources. And so the idea would have been that people are coming to drop off their their waste and you know recycle it or reuse it or whatever. And now it's totally transformed. And six out of seven people that are coming aren't coming yep. to drop stuff off at all. They're coming to buy stuff and take yeah, stuff away. It's, it's it's their resources. 
that yep. are stacked up and ready for them for, for the home best projects. Place. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And then so and how many how many visitors are coming to to oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coming to learn and take ideas back to their communities like the tours that you do. Yeah, I th- I think we've had about um, forty five thousand people, kind of roughish count, um, somewhere between um, 42 and, and 47,000 yeah. um, over the 20 years. Um, and I think there's now, what is it, about 40 or so community recycle or resource recovery centres in New Zealand, yeah. and I'd say almost all of them have been inspired by what you guys are doing here. Yeah. Yeah. The Zero Waste Network, yeah, incredible network. And when, uh, when we first started, you know, they said um, you couldn't do it. And, um, and when we got to 80% diversion, they said, you can do it, but in weird places like Rangla. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, so it would never happen in a city. So the challenge was down, and so we did a joint venture for Waiuku, and we've mm. been involved in mm. Devonport mm. and mm. Waitakere and Great Barrier. All and Auckland based places, yeah. Sounds yeah. like Rick likes a challenge. Yeah, I like yeah. a challenge. It gets, <laughs> yeah. gets bored easier when the surf's flat. So any anything just to close um, that that people can take home to their communities, people that are excited about trying to make a difference mm. on that community scale? Yeah, I mean, I, from my experience over the last few years, I just really encourage people to get involved, you know, if it's community planning or whatever it is, but from that's what I've been doing, um, that it's been really rewarding. And, you know, if you're keen to do some community planning, you just need to get a few passionate people around you who really are, you know, interested and then just get out into the community and start having the conversations and, yeah, like definitely worth doing and really rewarding, I suppose, just gathering gathering um, mm. all the beautiful things you have in your place together. Beautiful. Yeah. And Raglan Naturally, the plan, is available online. Yes. People can download yep. that and, and use that as a, a inspiration or Yeah, we've got a website. Yeah. 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 yeah, website, just raglannaturally.co.nz. Yeah, so you can check all our work out on there. Fantastic. Yeah. And I think most important, not to feel too overwhelmed. You know, it would mm. be easy to think of, you know, local and um, national and international issues, you know, particularly um, climate change as being just too too large for us. But mm. I think, you know, when you're able to see that, you know, your efforts in the home, even when it's just recycling, you know, or, or participating in the community project, you know, it's it's amazing um, to, to have a list and be able to tick tick some things off and and feel that um, we're actually having a positive benefit. Yeah, exactly and awesome to look back even a year and go like, oh my god, look what we did and look what we've done now and yeah exactly, yeah. definitely and 20 years later we've got abundance of fish and, yeah. and um, minimal, um, you know, they've done some over 2 million trees and, and 600 kilometres of fencing or so, you know, but mm. Some real transformations, and 20 years yeah. isn't, like, such a short it's a short time, time for yeah. a turnaround you know, Kia ora, thank you so much um, been a real privilege and pleasure just to spend a bit of time with you two wonderful people, thank you yeah. Kia ora, thanks no. Wave yeah, yeah, thank you very much, Wave, and and massive um, respect to yourself. You know, you and Matthew, and the work that you do as well. Kia ora, and kia ora, Tim. Kia ora, everybody. I'm here now with Fiona Edwards and Crystal Van Halter. Welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's welcome um, you. Thank you. This is actually the nursery for your project, Fiona, the Whangaroa Harbour Care, and you guys obviously grow thousands and thousands of trees, which I'm excited to talk to you about. And Crystal, your project is the Maunga that's just behind us here. Yeah. It's yeah. And the coastline, so this is kind of part of it. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful mm. to be right here in the middle of your project. Mm. Uh, projects. So what's your project called? It's the Kareo project, but yep. our official name is Te Whakaoranga o Kareoi. Beautiful, which means? Restoration of Kareoi. Great. So the two, I mean, th- there's got to be thousands of conservation projects and programs in New Zealand, and I'm particularly interested in what's, what you guys are doing well and what's unique about what you've been doing, because I know that there is actually some some unique elements of what you're doing, and uh, and I think the scale is also quite encouraging, and then the outcomes, because particularly your project's been running for... 25 years. Which is before, (laughs) you were just saying before, that is actually before riparian planting was called riparian planting. It is. It it was a concept that wasn't at all well-known 25 years ago when we started. And the reason that we started the project way back when, seems like decades ago now, was was because every time it rained, the harbour turned brown. And um, one day I was down at the library looking at the local notice board and there was a sign up that said, does anyone care that every time it rains, the harbour turns brown? And I saw the sign and I thought, actually, yes, I do care. So I rang the number and I talked with Fred Litchwack, who I didn't know. And he talked about the fact that there was a lot of sediment and farm runoff and um, contaminants and high nutrient levels and, of course, pathogens coming off the farmland and entering into the harbour through the streams and directly into the harbour from the harbour edge. So pretty typical story. Pretty typical story. I think think that's well, and now, right? Our waterways over the last 25 years have been getting worse significantly, not better. so in some ways you're ahead of the game in terms of the pollution. I also just want to acknowledge our, our friends out there driving happily away because we're right in the middle of it, aren't we? We are. Yeah. yeah. It's always nice to have a centrally located nursery <laughs> on a busy road. On a busy road, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Crystal, um, your project's not quite so old. No, we're, we're just a newbie on the block. Yeah. But we have been going for 11 years. Oh, now. that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's old. Yeah. But it's great because we've been supported by these other projects that had been started in our community. And um, I think one of the cool things is is that, you know, say from a DOC or a regional council perspective, there was a little bit of that attitude, oh, community groups, do we want to invest in them and support them because then they're just going to, you know, fizzle out. <laughs> and um, and we, we were able to kind of say, well, these guys have been going for a long time and here we are. Yeah. So I think um, nowadays we kind of say to, you know, staff on that at council and say, hey, we're still here and you guys change jobs all the time. And, um, and I think that's been really nice, like having that support and the community that has all these projects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you've got a bit of cred in Raglan. We sure have. I mean, you only have to look at extreme waste and Whangaroa Harbour Care, the Karioi Project, um, Te Māori Tau. There's 
just so many projects in Raglan and Whangaroa that have been operating for decades and that are doing awesome work, not just in the environmental field but in the social field as well. Yes, and Tamarato, just a shout out to those guys because we were off to see them and then unfortunately Katarina was is sick today so we can't um, can't oh, visit. Okay. But you know they've been involved with Enviro Schools, yeah. um, which is of course nationwide affecting tens of thousands of young people in New Zealand, really literally changing the way we think as mm-hmm. a nation and that was part of their mahi part of what they've set up and achieved and I think what you'll find with most of the groups in Raglan is that because we've been going for so long we've often pioneered different ways of doing things and pioneered uh, new ideas and because of that uh, we've been able to then spread our mahi and, and our ideas around to other communities and I think you'll find that you know extreme zero waste they're now expanding beyond Whangaroa, beyond the Waikato and, and working in different um, parts of, of New Zealand. The same with Whangaroa Habakia. We mentor 40 groups around New Zealand. 40 groups you're mentoring? Yep. So this head start that you've had, if we go back to the, the, the state of the harbour. Yes. Um, was it, I think Rick mentioned that comparatively it was actually pretty bad. It was terrible. They, they used some uh, recreational food fish surveys back in 1995 and Whangaroa Harbour had the worst recreational catch uh, effort in all of New Zealand harbours. It took 18 hours to catch a single fish and our white bait, you were lucky if you could get half a cup of white bait when you went white baiting. And now? And now completely different. The stats now are that you can catch your um, bag limit within an hour in our harbour and you can also... um, when you go white baiting, um, we're talking buckets now, not half a cup. That is a turnaround story. Like yeah. uh, this, uh, I like calling it a head start rather than an anomaly. Like I feel that so many communities are heading in this direction. Yes, they are. And this is the inspiration that yep. you guys are able to provide yep. you because you're actually showing us. Oh, it's not like a dream or some scientist said if we plant trees. It's like oh, I can show you. So when it so when it rains now. Previously, you had all of this brown water flooding in. It would stay there for weeks. Like I, I've been in Raglan thirty years, and I can remember sitting there for weeks, just watching it, watching that harbour stay brown for and weeks. What's on wrong end. with the brown water? Like it's related to the fish. Not- so, so there's a couple of things. One, when you've got increased uh, sediment in your water, um, it's it's you lack clarity, um, so it's hard to get the uh, um, the quality of water that you want. Um, you also end up with the sediment covering the seabed and that's really um, hazardous for all those crabs and, and um, invertebrates and things that are in the in the seabed um, and also particularly for things like seagrass. So when seagrass gets smothered it dies and one of the reasons why we have such a great snapper fishery here is because we've had seagrass regrow and the snapper come in and lay their eggs amongst the seagrass. Oh, cool. So yeah. they've gone from not having a habitat to, yeah, to, to having quite a, a like hectares and hectares, hectares of yeah, seagrass. Sea and then meanwhile, um, you guys with your maunga mm-hmm. were actually quite motivated by seabirds, is that right? Yeah. So there's so, all these connections. Yeah, well, I mean, partly, I guess it was getting the community motivated to do. So, so basically, Kariori was 
you know, it had no community project on it. You know, Doc would come and do a bit of 1080 every six or seven years, which was contentious in this community, um, many communities around the country. And we said, hey, let's be proactive instead of reactive every time Doc comes and let's do something ourselves. So it was very much about let's see if we can get this community on board. We knew that we'd have to get volunteers and we got a little bit of funding from Doc and we just started on about 10 hectares at the base of the mountain. It's hard getting volunteers, eh? It's like, what have you got, like 10, 20? Well, at the time, we started with about 10. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got over 100 regular volunteers. Regular? What does that mean? Like every month? or Yeah, so minimum of once a month. Yeah. You've got a hundred people coming. Hundred people from, from this tiny little community. Yeah, yeah. amazing. So yeah. that's one of the key things is, is the, the the amount of people that you guys have managed to uh, pull in mm. to the project. And those volunteers would be doing hundreds of hours, I guess, volunteering. Yeah, like I think we clock up around about six thousand a year volunteer hours. And that's and that's probably a really rough estimate, you know, because then there's also volunteers now helping out with like advocacy and events and all sorts of things and we try and obviously count all those hours but you know it's a rough estimate but yeah so so probably all up if we count every single volunteer like you know when school groups come and do working days like we've had like the um, air force come out and do like working bees like so if we add up all the different people that come and help out like we're probably hitting around 300 a year but yeah, about a hundred regular from this community. And do you want to talk us through, I guess, some of the changes you've seen? So, what would have been, like, what were some of the drivers that were really? I mean, we all know that the biodiversity in New Zealand is really under threat. Mm. But what what specifically was motivating? What were the real? What were the problems up there? And what, what are you seeing now? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, definitely forest destruction. So so for us, it was about, you know, Karyo is like our biodiversity hotspot. It's the, it's the one place in our community that we still had, you know, a few birds and amazing tree life and uninhabited, you know, and we were like, let's restore this mountain, like it needs protection. And we obviously knew there was forest birds there still, but only a remnant. And um, and as we kind of started the project, we, we heard about um, some people that lived on the coast that said, oh, I think there's like some birds flying around at night and like do you guys want to come and have a look and maybe they're bats and then a few of us went out and um and we were like that's not bats that's seabirds and so we just got really excited because we were like wow seabirds are really special um New Zealand's the seabird capital of the world what does that mean? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it means... For every Kiwi. There's <laughs> 60 seabirds. Yeah, yeah. So, so basically, um, a third of the world's seabirds live in New Zealand. What? Say Breed in New Zealand. A third of the world's seabird. And, like, we're well ahead by many, many tens. You know, like, we've got... I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. But we've got a, th- a third of the world's seabirds. That, and we always have this little joke. We go, oh, seabirds, but you don't see them. Because so most people like most people when I talk to them they're like oh I like those gulls or like oh, I see them in the harbour all the time it's like no that's that's shorebirds oh. so shorebirds feed on shore seabirds feed at sea oh. so that's a big difference okay. and so they're these amazing birds that have like a wingspan of about a meter often or bigger. Um, well, the birds that are here, actually, some of them are smaller. But um, so you these know, so seabirds so, yeah. that live and and feed out yeah. to sea. So they they do their whole life out there, but then they come to Karaiwa to breed. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, so in the past, New Zealand would have been inundated with seabirds, like from the top of the mountain right down to the sea. So you start with the, like your little, you know, your penguins and your little blues, and right up to, you know, Cook's petrel, black petrel, shearwaters, you know, all sorts of things. And all those birds would have found a place to breed somewhere, you know, on New Zealand mainland or offshore islands. And just because of the invasive predators like now very few succeed and so most of our seabirds are on offshore islands that are protected from predators and they're in trouble right uh, yeah birds yeah, are hugely endangered uh, in trouble yeah. lists yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so so we found you know this remnant kind of trying to breed population um like most of the burrows that we found so they dig these burrows underground so they we call them ecosystem engineers i love that word it's like little engineers digging away you know Mm. digging (laughs) aerating the soil and then they bring all their nutrients like their guano which is like big blobs of blood you know and so basically these seabirds provide this connection from the sea to the land and new zealand coastal forests would have function because of this high nutrients coming in from these seabirds mm. as well as the forest birds we have mm. you know so these so, so our balance sea, way yeah. beyond what we've been thinking and yeah, is that, and it's it connected linked with each what other. you're doing in the harbour? Well, we have done one project together actually which was up on the Wainui Reserve where um, we researched what was required to um, increase seabird habitat so uh, we found out what kind of plants the, works best for these seabirds because the oi the grey-faced petrel suck at landing they kind of crash land and so you need softer plants for them to land into yeah and um and ideally in order to take off they need to be able to clamber up onto the cliff or clamber up a big tree and take off and uh, to fly so um takeoffs and landings are a bit of a challenge because they're seabirds and they they can just be at sea for for a long time um so we've basically tried to expand their habitat by uh, planting it up in the last couple of years and we've added another sort of 10 hectares of potential new habitat for the birds. Well, it's too early to say yet because we need to get a lot more tree cover happening. Um, maybe in the next decade we'll start seeing them burrowing in that area, which would be absolutely fantastic, and that's kind of why we've ex- expanded the area so that with the increased predator control that the Karioi project is doing, we'll have increased the habitat as well, Aww. and it is, hopefully it's going to be a win-win-win. So you've got... You've got predator control habitat expansion yeah, yeah, one yeah. one so so we've done a lot of seabird monitoring ever since we found out about these birds and we've we'd find few remnant burrows kind of you know in remnant bits of bush and and under people's sparkles <laughs> and different places so these last like the gray-faced petrol they kind of the last remaining that is still hanging out on the mainland and um and so as we kind of started exploring and we use a species dog to find more burrows and that we've kind of gone from you know seven years ago having a few burrows we'd find broken eggs we realized the birds had were not breeding successfully yeah. and through the work that we've done we've got about 50 burrows now and um, we've seen about 22 chicks fledge over the last three years and we've probably hopefully got over 10 fledging by December this year so we so we've kind of seen them going from a non-breeding you know kind of remnant population to actually breeding again we're still losing a lot along the way or you know sometimes they're not successful I mean we we're not there yet but as we're improving our methods and improving predator control we're just getting more success but what happens is that 
as the birds come in, they come back to their natal sites. So they long-term breeders, they come back to their natal site and then they start excavating their burrows and that can take a few years. Then they mate for life. Really? And then the parents incubate the egg and lay, lay the egg, incubate it. And then when the chick hatches within two days, the parents leave. It's like, bye-bye, mum and dad. And then they go off to sea and then they come back every week or two to feed the chick. So there's chicks in the burrow from July to December on its own completely vulnerable to predators so we would find chicks that had been ripped out of burrows and we we have video footage of chicks getting ripped out of burrows you know through our monitoring program and then we can target the species and what's getting it and then we literally go and chase down the ferrets and the stoats that get these guys and hopefully get them in our traps beforehand so kind of that's the setup and so what we've done is that these birds come flying in and the safer you make the habitat the more likely they're going to land and stay and so having harbour care plant more of the areas where we've seen the birds fly but they might not land or they land but they don't stay but if we provide them the habitat they'll stay they hear their mates calling and they'll bring in more birds so you're getting the engine going again So, so, so the replanting is like the next stage of where we're like okay we know these birds are coming in we know we can protect them now there's no point bringing in birds and then having cats and rats and stoats kind of you know killing them and then you know yeah yeah, we if we can provide them that nice safe habitat and you know get the predators and then they do the rest we we called the project a seabird sanctuary because that's what we think we're trying to create um, along this coastline is a sanctuary for seabirds. And, you know, eventually what we'd all love to see happen on Karioi is uh, the seabirds that were there, and there were tens of thousands of seabirds on that mountain once upon a time, and we'd love to see those birds come back. back. Yeah, mm. beautiful. The, the other cool thing is that as we've been doing the work, we've we focused on grey-faced petrel, but now we're seeing the little blue penguins come back as well, Great. which is pretty exciting. They're so really it's kind of danger, aren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, they're definitely threatened and their numbers are going down. But again, it's a fact that these, you know, like you do all this work and, you know, you go down the line and suddenly, oh, look, now we've got two little blue chicks sitting in a burrow, you know, and so you see that slow progression. It's great because this, usually these are the outcomes that you read about through DOC or like some government-led project. And the fact that you guys have been able to, really double down and provide a resource from the community for free essentially for that where docs stretch and they can't do everything and um so now that your your projects are both mature like to the point where you're seeing really cool outcomes and being able to get a bit of momentum i guess because people can see what's happening and then like with the recreational fishes they must really notice a difference so how would you say between you, by the fact you've got people volunteering and using spaces differently and seeing cool stuff, like how do you think your projects are impacting on the Raglan community? I think for the Whangaroa Harbour Care Project, what our focus has been is working with landowners. So over the years we've worked with sort of 80 plus landowners and before we started that we actually started working on the Wainui Reserve which is just behind us here. And the reason for that is it was run as a farm park. It's still run as a farm park. And we were able to um, retire a third of that farm park from um, production. And we fenced it. We planted it all up in natives, all eco-sourced. We took out the wetlands. We took out the riparian areas. And we took out anything too steep to run a um, four-wheel drive motorbike on and fertilise. 
As a result of that, the farm park was able to double its stocking rate. They were able to reduce their fertiliser costs, reduce their weed costs, and they had a significant boost in income. And that message percolated out across the entire Whangaroa catchment that you could do things differently. And the reason why 80-odd farmers now have done riparian planting in our catchment is because of that economic model, as well as the fact that it looks good and as well as the fact that there's biodiversity gains and as well as the fact that it, when, it, when you're stopping all that sediment and cow, cow effluent and urine entering the streams, then downstream there's huge environmental benefits mm. in the estuarine mm. area. Mm. And so the whole community saw both the environmental but also the economic benefits of doing this work and that's why they all got on board. Amazing. Thank you both uh, for joining us and and sharing this beautiful work that you're doing, really inspiring. And um, just, I think, to see, like I said, it's it's these projects, there's thousands of them happening around New Zealand, literally tens of thousands of New Zealanders doing amazing stuff in the conservation space, and, and people are getting great results, and it's really cool to be able to sit here with people that have been in the game for 11 and 25 years yeah. and just share, like transformational stories and and what I wanted to say too is that you know I need to give a shout out to those landowners they've fenced more than 500 kilometres of um, streams and harbour edge um, and a lot of those farmers have paid for it themselves um, some of them have managed to get subsidies but without those landowners willingly giving up that land this would never have happened so, you know, those, those landowners, uh, they're the bomb as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And it's the same for the Cario project, isn't it? So much relies just on landowner access, support and people valuing nature and kind of, you know, I love the thing like about giving wilderness a voice, you know, treasuring it because we know like without biodiversity, you know, everything else doesn't function as well. And I think, yeah, when people get that, you can get real transformational change. Yeah, so this story, I mean, we've had an amazing day today talking to people, interviewing people and seeing all of these yeah, amazing people doing amazing things. But I think what you're highlighting is it's not a story about individuals. It's a story about a whole community. And, like, you, you can't do it without the community grasping hold of something and seeing that vision too, which is, I guess is one of those things where it kind of which comes first because you have people that vision and plan and then... then but it's nothing without the community coming in behind. No, and, and, and you know, the other thing for me too is that it's about taking action. And so we could all sit here and pontificate about the benefits of tree planting till it came out of our ears. But unless you put a spade in the ground, unless the landowner puts up the fence, unless you put out a trap, unless you take action, nothing changes. So for, I think for both of these projects, <clears throat> it's about taking action. Just one step at a time. One How many trees time. have you planted now? Uh, we've Whangaroa Harbour Care has planted two million trees, and a big shout out to Roy, uh, who single-handedly has planted more than half a million trees Amazing. on his own. There can't be too many people in the world that have done no, that. No, I don't think so. Mm. He's extraordinary. Mm. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a great place to end it. Shout out to Roy. <laughs> shout out to Roy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and. Um, yeah, thanks again for sharing your projects with us and your beautiful you. corner of the world in Aotearoa. <laughs>